In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see the astounding love of the Good Shepherd, who searches for the lost sheep, finds it, lays it on his shoulders, and carries it home. Rejoice with me, he says, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Then, in the parable of the lost coin, we see again the astounding love of our Savior, who lights the lamp to search the darkness, and sweeps with broom to search the filthy places. And finding the coin, he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. What follows in the scriptures is not what follows in our lectionary readings. We've skipped over the parable of the lost boy or the prodigal son. And this is sad for two reasons. In the first place, because I could have preached on the parable of the prodigal son today, and next week the vicar could have preached on the much harder parable of the dishonest manager. In the second place, because the parable of the prodigal son sheds light on the meaning of the parable of the dishonest steward. In the parable of the prodigal son, we see the astounding love of the father who forgives his son and loves his son even though his son has sinned against him so very deeply. The son wished his father dead took his inheritance and left, squandered it all in reckless living, and still the father forgave him, ran to him, embraced him, and welcomed him as a son. He said, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What follows after this parable is the parable of the dishonest manager, our gospel for today. And there's an important clue in the Greek as to how we should read and understand this parable. Jesus says there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought that this man was wasting his possessions. The clue is there in that word, Wasting. It's the same word used to describe what the prodigal son did to his father's possessions. He wasted them. He squandered them. So if we have a prodigal son in that parable, then we have a prodigal manager in this one. So back to the beginning for just a moment. Is the parable about the lost sheep more about the lost sheep or about the good shepherd? Is the parable of the lost coin more about the lost coin or the one who lights the lamp and sweeps to find it? Is the parable of the lost boy more about the prodigal son or more about the father who welcomes him home? So too, then, this parable about the dishonest manager 
isn't so much about the dishonest manager as it is about his master, the rich man, who, as it turns out, is richest of all, but not in earthly goods, rather in grace. In fact, if we don't marvel at the grace and mercy of the rich man, then the story that Jesus tells actually doesn't make any sense. It's true, of course, that the rich man calls the prodigal manager to him and says, you can no longer be manager. But this is actually a merciful response. The rich man could have certainly attempted to recover his losses from the unfaithful manager. He could order the manager to become his slave or to be sold along with his wife and children, each to the highest bidder, separating them forever. He could demand that the manager's own goods be sold to repay the debt, or he could simply demand that the manager be thrown into prison until every last cent has been paid. But just as the father showed unthinkable mercy to his prodigal son, so this rich man shows unthinkable mercy to his prodigal manager. In fact, the entire plan that the prodigal ma manager develops is predicated on this very mercy of his master. Now, of course, what we see first is the prodigal manager takes stock of himself, whether or not he can save himself from the mess he's made. He concludes, no, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Then, like the prodigal son who comes to his senses while feeding pigs, this manager realizes that the solution to his problems doesn't lie within himself. Like the prodigal son who believes his father is merciful enough to at least let him come home as a hired servant, the prodigal manager believes his master is merciful enough to let him get away with his dishonest plan. Quickly, then, the dishonest manager slashes the debts of everyone who owed his master. In other words, he steals and wastes even more of his master's money. And he does so with obvious self-interest, so that the debtors will then receive him into their homes. The debtors themselves seem to know that this master is gracious and merciful, forgiving debts and showing unexpected kindness. No suspicion is aroused in them. They believe that the manager is truly acting in the master's stead. And of course, the manager himself is banking on the fact that the master will continue to be gracious and merciful to him, overlooking this further and even more egregious misuse of his money. And the shock of all shocks, at least to us, is that they were correct. The debtors and the manager. Upon finding out what the manager has done, the master doesn't set all the debts back to where they were, nor does he imprison the manager or sell him and all his family into slavery. 
No, instead he does something more shocking still. He commends him. He commends the manager. He praises him for his shrewdness. Though the manager clearly misused the master's money once again, this time the master doesn't see it as such. Why? How so? Because the master, rich though he is, actually cares nothing at all about money. Oh, he cares if it's misused, of course, but not because he cares about the money itself, only because he cares about the one who is misusing it. And that's precisely what's so difficult for us to understand about this parable, because we do care about money itself, and a lot more than we should. But to the master, the money's not what's important. It's only a means to an end, a tool, a servant meant to be used for a greater purpose and good. And that's why he commends the master, the, the manager, precisely for using his money in this way. Money isn't a master to be worshipped, but a servant to be used. So, if not money, what then does this, this master care about? Well, in the first place, as is quite evident, he cares about mercy and grace and forgiveness, and more so than we human beings can truly fathom. These things are his true riches. In the second place, what the master cares about is people. Even those who have wasted and misused what he's given. Even those who owe him what they could never pay him back. Even those who have used him and abused him and stolen from him and wronged him to the bitter end of their bitter souls, just like his prodigal manager. But what matters to him is grace for debtors, forgiveness for sinners, and mercy even to the merciless. These things he values more than all the money in the world, more than gold or silver or any precious thing. And that is why our master, our Lord Jesus Christ, has bought us, bought you, not with gold or silver, but with his own precious blood. He has forgiven all your debts, let you off the hook, blotted out the ledger of your debt with his own holy blood. And he has commended you. He has commended you. Even when for all the wrong reasons you've stumbled into acting just like him. That's one of the profound ironies of the story Jesus tells. It's the irony of this manager who concocts a plan that is entirely predicated upon the master's mercy, who then proceeds to slash the debts of fellow debtors, who uses money not as a goal and master in itself, but as a servant and means to an end, and the end is people, that he might be received into their houses. How often, by contrast, do we use people as the means to get more money? But reversing this, the manager uses money as a means to get people. 
And in these things, ironically, strangely, he becomes just like his master. He becomes the unlikeliest of all role models. Wicked though he is, he ends up reflecting his master's heart. For our Lord and Master bends all of creation in order to win us to himself. Indeed, he not only decreases or slashes the debts of our sin, he erases them entirely. And he pays the unimaginable cost himself, all so that we might welcome him into our hearts, into our homes. So Jesus holds up this manager, and he says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Notice what he says, when it fails, not if. When it fails, money, wealth, houses, stuff, everything will ultimately fail you. Take it from a man who learned this firsthand. Job wrote, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Money makes for a very poor master, but not this Lord. Let him be your master. You be his steward and the manager under his care. And let money be your servant. Then all that you have will be in service to him. What does our Lord and Master care about? Let his parables teach you. He cares about prodigal managers and debtors who can never repay. He cares about lost sons lost coins and lost sheep. He has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And he has come to make sinners into his eternal friends. What he cares about is you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.